0: This morning's lesson is taken from the book of Job, the last chapter, 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of those things by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. If you were with us last week, you know, we started a new series. We're actually going to be working our way through the entire book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, and we hit the beginning last week and we need to recap just a little bit because it's very important with Galatians. It's very important with any book of the Bible when we start to get into it and, and work our way through to get the big picture, to get the context of what's happening so we know why they were writing and who they were writing to, and it helps to inform us as we work through it. And last week, what we talked about is the occasion, the purpose of writing of the letter. And Paul's reason for writing the letter to the churches in Galatia was that a false gospel had crept into the church. Paul had planted these churches on his missionary journey. He started them and then he had gone off to do more uh, missionary work. And in that interim time, uh, other teachers had come in and they started to lead the people astray. And what they were teaching was a faith plus, faith in Jesus plus some other things. And when Paul got wind of this and he heard about it, he writes this letter to to correct that and to say that is not the case. It is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus or Christ alone, and that's it. And he so he writes this letter to correct this. And as I talked about a little bit last week, it's almost um, angry, close to anger in his, his uh Tone as he writes this letter, he says, we looked at last week in verse six, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who has called you. You get this real like uh, urgency with the way Paul writes. It's a very personal, intense letter. And he can't believe that they're turning from the very basics of the gospel. And what we looked at last week, even right in his introduction, you know, Paul, just the first five verses is just saying, I, Paul, apostle, call. And he starts into that. And even in that, he's already giving giving them the gospel. He starts hitting the gospel right away. And we talked about last week, normally in Paul's letters, he has a thanksgiving to who he's writing to. He skips that and he goes right in to his uh, shouldn't say attack, but his explanation going right to the heart of where they were wrong. And he goes right into it. And what we saw last week, just summing up where we are, he said there's three things here. There's one authority, and that's only from God. Jesus Christ. And he says, that's by which I'm speaking. It's only through God's word that I'm speaking. And then he says, there's only one gospel. There's only one possible way. Only one authority that I can give you is the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And then we ended last week with what that looks like when we start to get that is we start to live for God's glory and for his, uh, approval and not man's approval and that's kind of how we work through those first 10 verses but today what happens is paul kind of um and it really started with verse 10 but we're going to see it 10 through 24 and even through the second chapter as we go forward paul starts to give a defense of himself that's really what he does for the first couple of chapters he starts defending himself and the reason that's important for us to at least consider and see here is the reason paul is defending himself just very practical uh The context of which he's writing, and I want you to think about if you're one of the people sitting in the churches in Galatia, what you're thinking as you hear this letter read, as you as you hear Paul's words, and what's happening is, they're taking a different gospel in a very real way. Just the simplest form of this is some other guys came in, very official. We called them last week. They're called Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians who were saying you need to take. Some of the Jewish culture and tradition and these things and add it to the gospel. And these guys come in very officially. They're from Jerusalem. They're saying, oh, no, we're official. And Paul was wrong. And here's where he was wrong. And they start to tell him and people started to believe him. So Paul goes into a defense of himself to say, no, you should believe me over these guys. So you can understand why Paul gives us a defense of himself. Why he starts to tell us about how he became a believer and all these things and the authority by which he speaks. You know, the very first part of his defense of himself, we're going to move into that today. But the very first part we looked at last week, the most important part of his defense is I'm not speaking for man. I'm speaking from God. What I'm saying is God's word. It's not my word. And that was the first part. But then he starts to <clears throat> excuse me, to build his case as he moves through the chapter. So as you, as we look at these verses this morning, I want you to be thinking you're sitting in the churches. You're there. You've heard these guys come in that are very official and they told you something else and you started to believe it. And now you're trying to weigh who to believe. And I think when you when you really stop and think about it, you can see how that happens to a degree that they started to embrace something else. These were new believers. Paul had planted this church. They, they knew the basics. They knew what, got, what uh, Paul had taught them. But that's about it. They were kind of new in it. I was thinking um, when I was in undergraduate, my undergraduate degree was in architecture. In the very first year, you take design studios, and you go and you sit, and for four hours couple times a week you draw and you design things and they say oh here's here's what your project is design a house or do this or whatever and you'd sit down and you would start to do your project and you would think oh I got the best idea this is so neat and you're working along and then one of the grad students comes around and goes uh why are you doing that that doesn't look so you know and they start to kind of pick it apart and tell you and real quickly your confidence is kind of like maybe my project's not so good and then you go back and you start to change it and I think that's part of what was happening in the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia. They they thought they had it and were good, and then somebody comes along who seems very official and seems to know more than they know, and they say, no, 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 it's not that; it's this. And you can kind of see how they started to slip into this false doctrine and start to take that because these guys really seem to know what they're talking about. So Paul writes to say, forget those guys; do not listen to them. Listen to them. Listen to me. And then he gives his defense. As to why. So that's what we're going to look at today. Verses, we're going to go back to 10. We'll, we'll include 10 in this, but 10 to 24. And that what we're going to see is Paul's defense. So let's look at that. Let's look at those verses. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Paul's argument here and what he's saying. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us, that you gave us your word, that you spoke uh, through your apostles and through your prophets, and you have um, handed down your word uh, to us that we can know you and that we can come closer to you. We pray today as we open your word that it would be clear, that we would see exactly what you want us to see, that your Holy Spirit would come and open our eyes and our hearts to to, uh, Just grasp hold of your word and that we'd be changed because of it. We thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus name. Amen. As we work through Paul's argument, what he's saying, there's three things I want us to look at. And the first is, what does Paul's life look like before his conversion? What does it look like before? What happens at his conversion? That's two. And then the third thing, after his conversion, what does it look like? What's the outcome of his life? What's the changed life look like? And as we do that, as we work through those steps, we get a good idea of his defense of why they should listen to him because his life bears out what he's saying. But also it gives us some real good indicators and markers on how to look at our lives in true uh, true uh, conversion, what it looks like. So it has some very practical applications for us as well. So let's start with before his conversion. And I'm going to start with verses 13 and 14, not skipping 11 and 12. They're very important. Verse 12 says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. But that was our main point last week. That's what we said last week, that, that Paul is speaking through God, God's word through him. So we talked about that last week. That's the authority, and that's the number one thing for for Paul's uh, reason on why you should listen to me. So that's a given. I'm, I'm taking that as a given, and then we're moving ahead. So let's look at what his life looked like before he was a believer. It says, For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. The first thing I want you to see when we talk about Paul's life before he's a believer is the way he talks here. And everything he says is I persecuted. I was advancing. I was zealous. I was doing this. And it's I, I, I all the way down the line. Paul's uh, life before his conversion was all about his accomplishments It was all about the way he stacked up to other people. He says right there in verse uh, uh, 14 that I was I was advancing beyond many of my own age among my people. He basically was saying and we know this from Paul. It was true. Paul was uh, in a way kind of a star in the Jewish world. He was he knew his stuff and everybody knew who Paul was and he was going through the ranks and he was. and, And that's what he's saying. I was ahead of everybody. And I was better and I was doing this and I was persecuting and all these things that he says. And you see, it's I, I, I. It's all about Paul and his accomplishments. Look at verse 14, because in 14, it tells us what he was doing. He says that uh, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And then it says in verse 13 that he was persecuting the church violently. So what he was doing is Paul was the legalist of all legalists. He was a Pharisee. And he went around, and he persecuted, and he told anybody that was wrong, and he let them know, and he was extremely arrogant. You see that just in the way he talks. I violently persecuted. Basically, anybody that disagreed with Paul got the full brunt of it. He was throwing people in jail. He was literally there. Uh, Acts tells us he was there when Stephen was stoned, that they laid their, their coats at Paul's feet to stone him. Paul was a hardcore legalist about the law. And he was prideful. You can see it in the way he says, I was ahead of everybody else. You see this pride and this arrogance. And that's Paul's life before. That's what his life looked like before he had become a Christian. When I think about that, though, when we read about Paul and violently persecuting and different things, I, my mind immediately goes, he's not that different than any of us apart from Christ. It's the same in our lives today. And you may say, well, wait a second. I've never violently persecuted anyone that disagrees with me. But what I mean by that is even in our lives, in our culture today, we very much live in a culture of competition. You measure your worth based on other people. Uh, Even the way we talk, when two men meet almost without fail in our society, they say, hi, how you doing? I'm Bill or I'm whatever. And they shake hands. And then the next thing they say is, what do you do? And we immediately go to our jobs as our identity. Oh, I do whatever. And they start to talk about their job. And that's what we do. That's the way we operate in our culture. And oftentimes we get our accomplishment or our self-worth. We slip into this. It's a great lie of Satan, your self-worth based on your job or based on your education or based on how well your family's doing or how long you've been, whatever it may be. All different things that we put our identity directly in. We put those in there and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. I was doing this, I was doing that. We do the same thing. The reality is, we're looking at Paul before he's a believer, but the reality is, we do it even as believers. We still fall back into that. It's very easy to slip back into that because that is the way our world works. Your, your uh, worth is based on the car you drive, or the house you live in, or where you get all kinds of crazy things that are not biblical, but we slip into it just like Paul. We get our worth and identity from something else other than Christ most of the time. You know, if, and, and I'll give you an example. It, it's hard, especially in this this uh, time right now. Our economy's not real well. Lots of people are losing jobs. But if your identity and your self-worth is so tied up in your job and you lose your job, you're crushed. And not to say I'm not making light of it. If you lose, that's a very hard thing. And it's something to work through. But is your identity so held in what you do that if you lose that job, that it just crushes you? It's a good indicator that your identity is so tied up in that thing. So as we look at Paul before his conversion, he's like many of us, believers and and unbelievers. He's chasing recognition. He's about himself. He's about how, look at what I'm doing. It's all about me. I did this. I did this. I, I, I. Comparing himself to others. But that's Paul before his conversion. Something happens. And it's right there in verse 15. It literally happens in verse 15 when it says, but. So he tells you, I, 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 I. And then verse 15, but. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. There's a colossal shift there. Something happens before he's a believer to at his conversion. Something happens. And what happens there is the I, I, I shifts to he. He who called me. He who set me apart. He who revealed his son to me. Suddenly, his whole uh, worldview, his whole way he sees everything shifts from I, I, I to he. Talking about God. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And suddenly, it goes from all about what I'm doing and comparing myself to others to what God is doing for me. You see, you just see it even just in the language, how he's going from I, I, I to he. Just the way he writes. And at that conversion, something happens. And when you become a believer, something does happen. God opens your eyes to see him. He's pleased to reveal his son to you. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about in his conversion, he would say that when he was converted, that God decided upon me that's the way he would explain his his conversion which i think is very biblical and it's very true and it's a good way to say it because when you get the heart of the gospel it's god doing for you not you doing for him it switches it's completely the opposite and it changes the way we look at things you go from being dead to awakened dead to alive that's that's the words paul uses in the new testament we were dead in our trespasses and sin and god makes us alive We're completely dead. He awakens us. But what happens is he awakens us and he awakens us from our self-centered me, 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 I, I, I to the world as it really is, which is it revolves around him, not us. And it's not until you start to see the truth of the gospel and God awakens you and opens your eyes does that switch. And we see that clearly in Paul's life right here because it goes from all his accomplishments to he who has set me apart, he who revealed me, he who did and you see it just in the way Paul talks. Suddenly it switches everything in his life, in his perspective. I think oftentimes um, I was thinking of trying to think of a good example of that grasping the gospel, that moment of understanding. And oftentimes, and this is a little bit almost uh, cliched, uh, Christian cliche. If you've grown up in the church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you go to uh, like a revival or a campus crusade, and all these things are good, by the way. I'm not making fun of this at all. This It's very... True and what they say, and there's a reason that they all say it, but they all say, as you leave here, what if you were to die today? And they'll go through the little story and they say, if you leave today and you get on 400 and you get in a car wreck and you die and you stand before God, why should he let you into heaven? Or if you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? And they say, what would your answer be? Do you know for sure? And that, and, and by the I'm, I'm not, I don't mean that to sound like I'm making fun of it. I'm just saying we've heard that before. We, we say that a lot. That's kind of the way we talk a lot. And, and it's good and it's true because we're not guaranteed any time. We're not guaranteed any, you know, in James it says our life is but a breath. It's just an instant. We're not guaranteed any time. So it's a very good thing to think about. But as I was thinking about that, I want you to think about this this morning. If God asks you that, why should I let you into my heaven, is your answer, does it start with I? Does it say, I went to church every week? I was a member of a church. I was in Sunday school. I did devotions. I was in a Bible study. I love my wife. I love my kids. I was a good friend. Whatever, whatever it may be, does it start with I when you're thinking of what would I say to the God of the universe on why I should be let in to his presence? And the reality is, if you start with I whatever, you don't have the gospel. That is not the gospel, and that's not the answer. The only way that it can start with I and be the gospel is I don't deserve to be in your heaven. The only way I can be in your heaven is because of what you did for me. It has to be surrounded and centered, as Paul says here, he who chose me or who opened my eyes, who revealed himself to me. It has to be centered on him and not me. See the difference there? It's a huge difference. It's the heart of the gospel, but if we don't have that, we're missing it. And as I ask that question today, how would you answer if God says to you, why should I let you in? And if your mind goes to, well, I did this or I did that, you are exactly like the churches in Galatia. This book is written to you. It's written to you today, and it's alive just as much as if you were sitting in those churches then. Because that's exactly what Paul's saying. If you've got any other answer than Christ alone, you don't have the gospel. There's only one gospel, and that's what we talked about last week. So that's that's the conversion part. Right. That's the what happens at the conversion is you switch from me to him. You realize that it's him doing for you, not me doing for him. That's when the conversion part. So what happens after conversion? What does it look like when you become a believer? What is Paul's example of why you should listen to me? Because look at my he's saying my story, he's giving his his story. He's giving his witness of what happened to him to validate, saying, look what God did for me. Um, go back to verse 15 for a second. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and was real and he, who called me by his grace. I think it's interesting. I don't know if anybody has thought this, but here's Paul just a few verses before in verse 13 saying, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy, destroy it. But yet when he becomes a believer, the first thing he's telling us about his conversion is God set me apart before I was born. That seem odd at all. Here's Paul saying I was violently persecuting the church, but God set me apart before I was born. And there's this this interesting thing happened here. It's a change in perspective when you become a believer. You can look back on your life, and even when you were violently opposing God, as Paul was doing there, you can look back and see how he was working in your life, even when you were rebelling. Scripture talks about how God's glory will cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's in Habakkuk. And what it's saying is God's glory is going to prevail, and his, uh, what he's doing is going to come to fruition. And it's going to happen. And he wants to use you, and he wants you to be a part of it, and he wants to bring you in. But it's going to happen either way. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. Even when I was rebelling, he still had called me. And he still could use what had happened in my life. Paul would write in Romans, it's in Romans 8, that God uh, works all things together for those called according to his purposes. So even when Paul's rebelling and he's doing these things, God was still calling and he was still going to use. Now, that doesn't... This is always a tricky thing because we go, oh, well, God's sovereign and he can use everything. So then I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit back and let him, you know, whatever. He'll use it. He'll work it all together for good. That doesn't excuse your actions and it doesn't do away with the consequences of your sin. He can use it and he will use it, but it doesn't mean everything gets wiped away. I'll give you an example. If I uh, am drinking and driving and I go out and I get drunk and I get in my car and I drive and I get in a terrible car wreck. And I uh, hurt several people and I paralyze myself. And then while in the hospital, I become a believer and I repent and I tell God and I pray and and he saves me. And I'm a new creation and I am good with him. And it doesn't change the fact that I'm still paralyzed. You see the difference? And he may even use the fact that I'm paralyzed to bring glory to him. Maybe in that state you go and you work with others that are like that and you're an encouragement to them and God uses it in wonderful, mighty ways, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still sitting in the wheelchair. You see how that works? God can still use it. He can and will use it for his purposes, but it doesn't change the fact that there's consequences to your sin. It doesn't change the fact that our choices are real, that he gives us real choices and that we can make mistakes and we do things wrong, but... The good news is he can still use it. If you sit and you think, well, I've messed up so much and I've done this or I've done that or whatever and got uh. Uh-uh. Here is Paul who's violently opposing the church, literally going out and seeking to put people in jail and to kill them that are literally actively working against God's will, but he can look back on his life when he becomes a believer and say, God had set me apart before I was born. And you start to see it in Paul's life as an example when you start to look at and think about what Paul did. Imagine Paul on the road to Damascus. And he's, he's going along his way to violently oppose the church. He's going about his business. And God opens his eyes. He meets the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And he says, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And he becomes a believer. As he says here that his eyes are open. He had set me apart. He call, called me by his grace. He calls Paul by his grace. And what happens is here goes a guy who knew the Old Testament as well as anyone. I mean, he knew it forwards and backwards and had never seen it. But the second he does all his life that he had spent chasing, knowing the Old Testament and knowing every little thing about it, and then suddenly he becomes a believer and he can see all that work and all that time he spent into knowing the Old Testament, is now he can look at it and he can point to people and say, look at how this points to Jesus. You see how even though he was using it not for good, God could use it for good in his life. He could come in and use his knowledge of the Old Testament and now use it in a way that's pleasing to God. The same is true with Paul. Here's a fanatical, intense person that is so arrogant. And it's all about, look what I've done and my works and my thing. And then he becomes a Christian. And then suddenly Paul goes from radically arrogant and all about self to radically and incredibly selfless and all about grace and preaching Christ alone alone. What a witness that was to the people who saw him. This is the guy that was the legalist of all legalists. And then he shows up and starts preaching grace. You see grace in his life. Even though he'd made mistakes and he'd done things, God's using him through his own testimony. He's using what had happened before, and now he's taking it and using it for him. He goes from legalist to grace-filled, wonderful testimony. And if you look in verse 24, he says, they glorified God because of me. He even says in verse 23, they were only hearing it said he used to persecute us. He is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. You see how God used him trying to destroy the church to even get people to see God more clearly and glorify God. So even though Paul was rebelling, God says, I will use that. I can work all things together for those called according to his purposes. I was thinking of a. Example outside of the Bible, and there's, there's an example, if you've ever read much about C.S. Lewis or you know anything about him, he became a Christian later in life, and he was an atheist for a long time. And he went off to a boarding school, and his teacher, uh, Kirkpatrick was his name. He calls him the Great Knock in his biography. But this guy, the Great Knock, was this uh, teacher, and he picked him up at the, at the train when he ro- ar- arrives at the school. And he takes him back, and as they're talking, he's talking to C.S. Lewis, and he's telling him, He says, what do you think of the area? And he says, oh, I didn't realize there would be so many trees. And he says, well, why not? Why did you think there wouldn't be so many trees? And he says, oh, well, he said, did you look up this place? Did you read about it? And he said, well, no. And he said, so the guy just starts hammering away on him. So why do you have that opinion? Why do you hold that opinion? And he said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, then you need to be quiet because you can't defend your position. And the guy treated him that way with everything. And he said he realized that he wasn't being mean. He wasn't trying to be angry. or he That's just the way he was. That's the way his mind was so analytical that he made C.S. Lewis give a reason for every belief he held. And he did it for years. And what happened was this guy was an atheist. And he thought he was building a better atheist than C.S. Lewis. But the reality is what happens is Lewis became a Christian. And he went on to be one of the greatest defenders of the faith because... Of those skills that this guy helped instill in him because he started to take every belief he had and have a reason for why he believed what he believed or he wouldn't speak and then when he became a christian c.s lewis's ability to construct an argument and say what is unparalleled and god used the great knock this guy who was an ardent atheist to help further his kingdom even without him knowing C.S. Lewis becomes this great apologist. And it's the same with Paul. Here's Paul's doing things that don't seem to be helping anything, but then God, when he opens his eyes, he uses it for his good. Look at uh, verses, uh, let's see, 17 to 24. We're going to look at the end of this. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Cephas is just another name for Peter. If you're un, unaware of that, just so you know, that's, that's Peter he's talking about. And I remained with him for 15 days but I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And then I went into the regions of Syria and I, can never say that, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said he used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. I just want you to see here what part of his argument, just looking at the, the writing to the Galatians. This is important for us just to see. Paul says, I didn't go and confer with anybody else. Jesus opened my eyes to see this and I went away on my own for a time. And I didn't go get my story straight with anybody else. I just went out and started preaching because I had the gospel straight from Jesus. And again, he's making his argument that my word, what I'm saying is God's word. What I'm saying, I got directly From Christ, But I also want you to see kind of practical application of what he says, as it says in verse 17, he retreats and he goes into Arabia. It's a very uh, kind of veiled verse. We don't know exactly what he means. Most commentators think that Paul went off on his own to study for a time to get away and be alone with God in light of what uh, Jesus had revealed to him. And you can imagine Paul going off and reading the Old Testament with new eyes of seeing how it all points to Christ. And what that must have been like. But the, the practical application to us as believers, as someone who's had a conversion that is now a believer in Christ, I want to, you to just think about this. Are you good as a Christian in groups? Do you come to church and you know what to say and how to say it and you're good and you're like, yeah, I'm, I've got it together. And then you leave. What I want what, what I want you to think about is when you leave, what is your relationship with God when you get alone with him? It's easy to be a good social Christian in a big group. Oh, I know the words. I know the lingo. We're, we're together. Yeah, I've got it. Yes, I'm good with you. When you get alone, what does it look like? Paul goes off on his own for a time just to study and be alone with God and grow closer to him, to hear his voice more clearly. When you get alone with God, do you hear him more clearly? When you spend time in his word and you sit down and you pray alone, is it that much easier? Is it amplified? Yes, I can hear him speaking to me. Because in a true conversion, when you really have gotten the heart of the gospel, you long for those times to get alone with God. You want to spend time with him. Think about the closest relationships in your life. And if you haven't talked to somebody for a while, Joanna and I, there'll be days when we both are working or she's working or one of us or whatever. And she'll call when she's leaving work and she'll be driving home and I'll already be home. And we'll be talking about our day and we'll be talking on the phone. And then all of a sudden I'll hear the car in the garage and she'll say, hey, I'm here. And she'll walk in, she'll put the phone down and we'll start talking again. And it just keeps going. And it's because you're so excited and ready to talk to them. I haven't talked to her all day. I need to spend that time to talk to her and tell her what happened and what's going. Uh, Perfectly that my mom and her twin sister, they talk on the phone 15 times a day, literally all day, just over and over. And it's because that relationship is so close. They care so much for each other. They are always on the phone, always. You can think of same thing with your relationship with God. Can, can, you, get, can you wait to talk to that per- Can you just, you see the difference? It's one thing to go, yeah, yeah, God, I love you in church and this is good. And then do you just walk off and then don't talk to them all week and then come back here again? Because true conversion that you really love and you really understand the gospel, you can't wait to get alone to talk to them in prayer and in reading your Bible and spending time with them. And we see that with Paul as he goes off on his own. The last thing, and we're going to end right here. Just those last couple of verses. He says, they were only hearing it said, he used to persecute us, but now he's preaching the faith he once tried to to destroy. And they've glorified God because of him. The, The marked difference between Paul before he was a believer to after. After people are glorifying God because of what Paul's doing before, it was all about me and what I'm doing and look at my accomplishments and those things. So this morning, I just want us to leave with the thought thinking of what are you closer to? Are you putting more of your time and your energy to compare yourself with others and seek things of this world? or Are you striving as Paul was pouring out your life, as he says in Philippians, as a drink offering? I'm pouring out all that I have so that others would glorify God. That's the mark that you really have gotten the gospel, that you really love him. It's almost the same point we ended up with last week. What audience are you caring about? Who do you want to impress more than anything? Is it you want to get alone with God and then go out and tell people about him? Or is it just something on the side? So think about those things this week. Go to him and spend time with him. He wants to know you more, and he wants you to spend that time with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Galatians. We thank you for the wonderful testimony of your grace and your sovereignty and your love in the life of the Apostle Paul, that he was violently opposed, but because of your love, you opened his eyes to see you, and you used him to change the world. I pray that you would um, use us in the same way, that we would have the same urgency, the same excitement, Uh, to go share with others that we would care more about what you think than anyone else that we would truly be uh, focused on you and not ourselves that we would be christ-centered and not me centered i thank you for all you've done for us and we pray this in your precious name amen